0: Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm your host, Editor Madhuni Christian, and I'm joined again this week by my friend and colleague, Edward Ned Russell, who covers airlines for Skift and Airline Weekly. Today, we talk about uh, the return of business travel and whether United CEO Scott Kirby is right and that it'll bounce back pretty quickly, or Southwest CEO Gary Kelly is right in thinking that it could take 10 years. We also look at JetBlue's earnings and um, what's going on in the Mexican market. And we have a few thoughts to share about business travel on our own. Bear with us. Thank you for joining us. Please check us out at airlineweekly.com. Um, subscribe to us if you don't already. Our, our new issue drops every Monday and we update the site throughout the week. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Edward, Ned Russell. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Madhu? Good, good. I've got business travel on the mind. Let's talk about business travel.
1: Oh, don't we all? Don't we all?
0: So here at the airline weekly lounge, we've been um, we've been following the uh, the first quarter earnings of the U.S. airlines, and we've got a, a widely divergent sort of view of when business travel will recover. Um, on the one hand, there's United Scott Kirby, who's very Pollyanish and saying that it's coming back. It's gonna be it's gonna be back bigger than ever, um, and. Probably in the second half, and then on the other hand, you've got the Cassandra. You've got uh, you've got Gary Kelly saying it could take as many as ten years. So what what are, what are you hearing, Ned?
1: I mean, I'm hearing everything that you're saying, Madhu. Uh, you know, most of the major carriers seem to be leaning on the second half. JetBlue Airways weighed in today with their earnings today being Tuesday, and they're similarly expecting some ramp up in the second half. But I don't think, or none of the none of the optimistic outlooks think will be business travel is going to be recovered in the second half. I think Alaska gave the most specific uh, point, and they said they their estimates put about fifty percent of their business travel back by the end of the year, which mm. I think would be actually be quite a strong recovery for where we are in the pandemic. You know, Alaska didn't go as far to say that it would fully recover in the next few years, but you know, fifty percent by end of, by end of year is I think a good place for them to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is. Uh, but you know, you have to ask the question. I mean, the the if people, there are a lot of companies that aren't even going to open their offices until after Labor Day. So, what I mean, there's business travel. I mean, if you can't have guests in your office, uh, how's there's no business travel, right? I mean, no, that
1: that's that's true, Madhu. I think a lot of steps have to have to occur, and then you know that's outside the control of the airline world, reopening offices and everything right. You know some places are open, some places are open if you can prove you've got a vaccine, you know some places like you said are completely closed. There's a lot of questions out there, though I feel that there is growing pressure in the business community to start reopening and letting people back into offices. I know here in Washington. You know, there's talk of people going back into the offices this summer. Government mm-hmm. offices starting to reopen and stuff, but again, that's not necessarily for visitors, but to to staff.
0: Right, and that the, a key component of business travel is, of course, you know, going to visit clients or going to visit uh, visit uh, prospective clients, and that means going into their offices. And if their offices are closed, then there's no business trip, right? I mean, <laughs> so so that that's um. That is interesting. And, you know, there has to be – Gary Kelly, Southwest CEO Gary Kelly has said, you know, there, is, there will be a structural shift in business travel. And some of that is uh, just not coming back.
1: No, absolutely. I agree with Gary Kelly that there is some structural shift. And, you know, you, you cited Scott Kirby on the optimistic side of things. And I – I'd like to, to caveat what you said, that he also thinks there is some structural shift in, yeah, in business travel. That is true. You know, maybe not as much as, as uh, Gary Kelly thinks, but he is he does believe some has shifted to Zoom, though his favorite uh, anecdote is always you know the minute someone loses a sale because they did it on Zoom is the minute they start go back on the road. But still.
0: Oh, I, but then he, the counter yeah. to that, of course, is the Tata Group, which closed a billion dollar deal on Zoom.
1: I still think that's a fluke rather than the norm, but we, sh- I shall, we shall you know, have to wait and see whether I'm right or, or the Tata group is leading the new wave of billion dollar deals on Zoom.
0: Yeah, well, and the, you know the other thing is trade shows and that's, uh, that's another big component of business travel. And when that comes back full force, if it ever does, is anyone's guess. I mean, <clears throat> there's organizers have had some success with this uh, hybrid model. Somewhat in person, somewhat on online. um, That, of course, cuts out the key networking component of. uh, of
1: I think you're forgetting the pent up demand, Madhu. Yeah, Yeah. so I think a lot of conferences will maintain the hybrid model for some time. But like on the leisure side, salespeople people there's pent up demand to get out there. And even if you still have that contract, you want to go to a trade. Like you know, it was actually a good argument for the trade show because you can get your salespeople in front of a couple different maybe steady clients that they haven't seen for a year in one place, instead of having to do those three separate trips. I, that, that I think true. there's going to be pent up demand on the business side as well. You know, oh, I, I, yeah, you know.
0: absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I do also think, you know, I was talking to somebody not in our industry who, who said uh, that he thinks that, uh, that sort of client meeting trip to Europe where you're in a couple of, you know, you're having lunch in one country and dinner in another, that's just gone forever it'll be hard for CFOs to sign off on that again. yeah, you know? so I agree a... though yeah <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, you know, we've got years, and whether Scott Kirby's right and then it'll, you know, we'll see meaningful recovery at the end of the year or Gary Kelly's right and take ten years. We don't know.
1: You know a fun data point on this that i I was listening to Viva Air's CEO. This is Viva Air in Columbia. Uh, the other day at the Routes Reconnected conference, and he actually thinks there is a permanent shift, at least in Latin America, in terms of business travel um, recovering to just about 80% levels, not even 10 years, which I actually, I do think, I do beg the point that Latin America is a growing air travel market. So even if business travel only recovers 80%, overall, if tr- air travel grows, it will, anyway, that is a whole nother discussion. But yeah. he, he is clearly uh, on the, the uh, pessimistic side of, of that recovery arc.
0: Right, yeah, I've heard like sixty to eighty percent that number being thrown out there. I've heard also some people say it'll come back to one hundred and ten percent of what it was. <laughs> which, I mean, that that could just be wishful thinking. I, I, you know, I, neither of us has a crystal ball, but uh, no, no, it will be interesting. Um, but a lot
1: of businesses, a lot of airlines, are closely watching this metric because, as we know, they're still hemorrhaging money and. Yeah. You know, profitability, at least for the big three, requires uh, some level of business and long haul international to come back. As, yeah. as Scott Kirby said, sixty five percent is what they need to recover before they hit profitability, and that's you know that's still a good. We're still good ways from that,
0: right? And after September thirtieth, the U.S. government will not be picking up their labor tab. Anymore. That is right. So that they'll have right. to make money. They'll have to make a lot more money than they are now.
1: For sure. For sure. There's a long road ahead still. If uh, if this was a marathon, I'd say we're not even at the halfway point.
0: Right. <laughs> well, let's let's talk. You know, you 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 did mention leisure travel. I know you and I didn't discuss this in the pre-call, but like uh, but uh, there was some news this week with uh, the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, and um, saying that uh, the Europe could open for fully vaccinated U.S. travelers soon. No timeline was given, but soon. And. Um, the UK is talking about a travel corridor between the US and the UK. Both countries have done remarkably well with the vaccine rollout. Um, this is this was kind of remarkable. I mean, I think you pointed out that United saw its bookings rise, what nineteen percent, or flight searches rise nineteen percent. Searches, yes, yeah. yes. On the day that uh, President van der leyen made that comment, yeah. <laughs> which is remarkable, it's impressive.
1: But I, you know, I, I think. You and I do stand out for we're particularly pessimistic about this. I will believe it when I see it, uh, considering the nature of COVID, its uh, spikes in countries that thought they were mostly past the worst of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I will believe that the EU is open to vaccinated travelers when it actually is open to vaccinated travelers. And I think it's really hard to plan ahead right now. Because like you said, soon, JetBlue said they were launching London service soon in 2019 yeah. and we're in 2021 so <laughs> soon can mean any uh yeah any nature of things so i i'm europe will open at some point to vaccine travelers but i'm you know not going to to you know bet the house that it's going to be uh imminent
0: yeah i mean it uh, there there is every sign that the virus is not done with us with the world i mean you just look at uh brazil India, look India. at India. And it, I was going to get to India. India is catastrophic, right? I mean, and right. it wasn't very long ago that India had seemed to ba- um, successfully contain the virus. I mean, you saw carriers like Indigo saying their, their capacity was almost back to what it was in 2019. And now the country is like a public health emergency. Right. Um, I mean,
1: yes, I've, I've heard reports on NPR about the, the healthcare system all, I mean, pretty much no. On the point of collapsing, which yes. is scary in a country of so many people, where the healthcare system is already not as robust as in other places. So yeah, it's uh, terrible, terrible news out of there. So that's, I mean, that's why I'm I'm pessimistic about any country or or continent, EU, UK you know, opening up until I literally until it happens. Yeah, that's that's where I stand.
0: I mean, and and Japan, we've talked about this before. I mean, Tokyo is it, is going through a, a moderate shutdown right now less than a hundred days before the Olympic starts. So, so, you know, until, and Japan was praised early on for its successful, um, containment of the virus. So it's just, it's, it's tough to predict. I mean, no one has a crystal ball, not even Scott Kirby.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And we're back. This is Maduni Christian with Edward Ned Russell in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Ned, um, JetBlue, we're, we're recording this today on Tuesday, uh, April 27th. JetBlue just reported its earnings. That's the one of Hawaiian is later today. But with these two carriers, the last of the sort of the mainline carriers in the U.S. have reported their earnings. What did, what did JetBlue have to say? You know, they, it was, uh,
1: their statements were pretty much par for the course uh, based on what we've already heard they reported a small loss for the first quarter, uh, about 300 million, uh, though it was 600 million after you take out the federal relief. Mm. And you know, they said they're looking optim, they're optimistically looking towards summer, towards a leisure travel recovery. They echoed the statements from other airlines and expect business travel to pick up some in the fall question. They did not put a number on how much they expected to pick up, but they did repeatedly say off of the low base. So, mm. you know, I read that as a pickup's not going to be uh, anywhere near a recovery. Um, you know, and they're, you know, they're seeing real strength in their destination, their leisure destinations. Caribbean, Latin America capacity this summer could be up over 2019. Interesting. And so people flying to beaches, getting out, you know, they're, they're prepping for that. Though they, Again, they kept caveating that this will depend on the direction of the virus. If uh, things start closing down again, they can pull that capacity back. And yeah, they're they're looking for they they introduced their first A two twenty yesterday right. between Boston and Tampa, and they spoke positively of the aircraft so far, but they didn't really have any data on on how it's performing, considering one day in service. <laughs> but yeah, they're 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 getting ready to take six new planes this quarter, and London, the you know perennial question mark at JetBlue, will launch soon per their CEO, though they they maintain by the end of the summer, which uh, we shall see.
0: Yeah. Do, do they offer any uh, clarity on what airport they'll fly to in London?
1: Nothing. Robin Hayes uh, <laughs> artfully dodged any comments beyond uh, they are excited to launch service soon and, you know, aim to be before the end of the summer. My guess is once there is more clarity on the uh, US-UK corridor that we keep talking about, that if it does happen, then I think JetBlue will probably announce shortly thereafter.
0: Right. Yeah. So, uh so leisure destinations what in besides Caribbean and, and Latin America did well actually let's talk about Caribbean and Latin America where in Latin America are they flying and and have they seen success
1: they didn't drill into the market specifically but Colombia' is one that has come back strong across a couple of carriers huh. you know they have a strong franchise there they go to Costa Rica they're adding los cabos in Mexico uh, from I believe New York. So that's got to be got to be a nice lengthy flight. But yeah, they're I mean, JetBlue has really built up a very strong Caribbean franchise over mm-hmm. the past decade or so, and that's you know that is paying off for them in this leisure first recovery. They said also the easing of restrictions in the Northeast is uh, a boon because JetBlue is based in New York, has uh, their second two largest bases are New York and Boston, uh, which have been very. You know, some of the most restricted in the U.S. for travel since the crisis began, uh, besides Madew's California, <laughs> <laughs> and they said that easing of restrictions in the Northeast has they're seeing a, a tailwind from that with bookings rising. You know, they uh, didn't sound as bullish as the Caribbean, Latin America, though. I imagine there are plenty of people in the Northeast jumping on, ready to jump on planes to fly to the Caribbean and Latin America. Right. So, D- yeah. did
0: we get any color on the Northeast Alliance and um, and you know, the it was Justice funny, Department? But-
1: so yes and no. They they didn't mention the Justice Department investigation once, but they did repeatedly say that the alliance is about growth and new competition, which mm. are buzzwords in their argument for the alliance. So the DOJ is, of course, investigating whether their partnership with American cuts down on competition and will hurt consumers. You know, so it is, uh, it is clear that executives want the message to be, we are using this to grow and we are using this to create new competition in the market. So...
0: You know, yeah, which is uh, just for a little more backstory. I mean, that's something that Spirit and Southwest have alleged in their um, in the public comment period when the DOT was was uh, uh, mulling the the Northeast Alliance or or we see it, to approve it. And we see it in the announcements that they're both coming out with
1: MADU. You know, They've announced. Uh, JetBlue and American have announced over fifty new routes from yeah. Boston and New York. Out to, I want to say summer 2022, but it might be spring 2022, which is a really long horizon for a domestic route. Usually airlines don't announce domestic routes until the season before. So summer would be announced probably early 2022. Yeah, and I think, I really think a lot of that is positioning to the DOJ that, look, we are going to add new flights if, uh, if this stays in place. You've got to marry you know, JetBlue going to cities that's never served. Asheville, North Carolina, Kansas City, Missouri, you know, places that they traditionally have have skipped. So I think they're trying to make that case in, in the court of public opinion, if not, and as well as behind closed doors. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, it, it, that's what I see out of that.
0: Right. Um, do you do, do? Did they did JetBlue say anything about Na- uh, Washington National? Because one of the remedies that uh, several carriers have suggest have been clamoring for is divestment of slots at at national.
1: No, they didn't actually, which is interesting because i I think that that competition probably has to happen somewhat soon for for our divesting slots at its national and JFK. Correct.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so no, they they didn't mention it. The, <laughs> all of the comments were about growth and new competition in the market. Very, mm-hmm. very well focused.
0: Very, very interesting. Now let's uh, let's let's switch. Not quite Latin America, because it's technically North America. But let's talk about uh, Mexico. We've got some interesting news coming out of Mexico. You covered today uh, Aeromexico's rather large fleet restructuring, right? Or order book restructuring.
1: Yes. So Aeromexico uh, last Friday dropped a release about, you know, order with Boeing 28 new aircraft, of course, and they've been in operating under under Chapter 11 for um, almost a year now. Uh, And so I I dove into it. We had the bankruptcy filing, and it turns out that Aeromexico has replaced an order for 54 737 MAXs with uh, one for just 20 aircraft. Uh, They also have another eight, which are coming from Air Lease. These are all, of course, in front of the bankruptcy court. And Aeromexico, in their filings, was saying, you know, this is going to save them about $2 billion in capital expenditures. We know one of the big reasons for Chapter 11 is to cut costs, and so it would be a big deal. It's I would, I would like to say that it's a loss for Boeing, but frankly, all of these aircraft would arrive by the end of 2022. And I wouldn't take it off the later. who doesn't lease or buy more of them in the future. Once they're out of chapter 11 though, right now the the process is clearly to cut expenses and, you know, shape the near term at the airline.
0: Right. And this is, this is all kind of a piece, you know, I, I was listening to Valaris's earnings call, um, last week and, um, uh, the 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 executives at Valaris see what's happening in the Mexican market as similar to what happened in 2010 um, when Mexicana declared bankruptcy, and about a third of the the um of the capacity in the Mexican market just vanished when that airline s- ceased operation. It took about a year to reabsorb for the market to sort of absorb that and start growing again, and. Um, Valaris is kind of licking its chops because it sees this is the retrenchment of Aeromexico and Interjet. Who knows what's happening with Interjet? Do you know what's happening with Interjet? You... I
1: don't know what's happening with Interjet, <laughs> though I, I have to say I did get to fly them once and I enjoyed it.
0: But I would like to, i, I, I throw it out there. Do you think the reaction
1: by Valeris is more from Interjet's essential de facto closure? They're, they're not officially closed, but they're not really flying either. Because if you look at Aeromexico's restructuring, I mean, they're down to, they've, they've trimmed... 19 aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have this deal for more, though, though when I spoke to a few people that are familiar with the transaction, they said some of them are going to replace. Aramexa doesn't seem like they're going to be shrinking that much more, whereas Interjet took 50 planes out of the market when they shut right. down. So I'm really wondering if Valeris is going more after Interjet's share than Aeromexico's share, but that's yeah. Yeah, what are no, your you're,
0: you're you're probably you're probably exactly right, and they're probably just shoveling some dirt on Aeromexico while they can. Yeah, why not? it's <laughs> down, why not? <laughs> right. So so Aeromex goes down, like you know, got other fish to fry, and isn't focusing on Volaris. Interjet can't pay its fuel bill, or whatever is happening this week, and um and so. Volaris and Viva Aerobus are stepping up and think that they can fill that vacuum that's left by by these other two carriers, um, and and start you know start growing again. And then and and as well, they, they you know Volaris thinks it can uh, snatch more bus bus customers and convince them to uh, not snatch them, but actually <laughs> convince bus <laughs> passengers to start <laughs> flying <laughs> flying instead of taking the bus, which um, is, has been their strategy for many years now.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's a longstanding argument that they've made. Yeah, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting the shifts though. I I see. You know, I think what what I would perceive is you know Aeromexico is going to retain the higher end <laughs> and business portion of the Mexican market, and Valeris is uh, looks like it's on track to become the dominant budget carrier in the country. Where you you know Viva Aerobus is growing, but yeah. remember Viva is Aerobus is is a much smaller base than Valeris was. So. You know, their growth, even if uh, I was looking at March, it was over 40% ASMs versus 2019. But again, it's mm-hmm. a much smaller base so that, you know, you have to take that into account. You know, it, it seems like the market is set up to become something close to a duopoly with Aeromexico and Valeris as Dominates and then Viva as sort of the third carrier. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in my opinion, completely. That seems but that seems the trajectory we're on.
0: No, I think you're right. And Velaris um had some interesting things to say about uh Central America. I mean, a lot of their franchise was going south, right? Like taking yeah. Me- um but uh that region has been in various kinds of lockdown and restrictions, so that franchise is over, but are at least like not as important as its domestic Mexico market. Some of its northbound flights to the US have been um you know, either suspended or scaled back. They're starting to grow again in Texas and and Nevada. Um, I thought
1: Nevada was an interesting one where they they you actually mentioned it in your piece. That yeah. where they, they said it talked about Reno Vegas. Uh.
0: Right. I, I I think it's uh it's Mexicans coming north for um <clears throat> for leisure travel, and some some local origin traffic going um south. Um the the uh so so yeah they, but the, the, there was another interesting thing, thing. They kind of buried the lead a little bit. they're they're planning to start a new subsidiary in El Salvador, which um, would be similar to their Costa Rica operation. Um, and it would be mainly flights between El Salvador and Mexico and El Salvador and the. US. Um, which is a niche I didn't think really needed to be filled, but uh, Velar's doesn't Avianca
1: still have their San Salvador hub? I mean, assuming it wasn't cut in bankruptcy,
0: <laughs> right? So, so they see that market as ripe for low cost competition. Um, sure. So they 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 plan to have an AOC by the end of the year and start operating flights from El Salvador as Velar's El Salvador. Which... Well, they
1: certainly have the planes coming. Uh, we, we forgot to mention that they <laughs> signed true. a lease deal for eight new A320 NEOs last week. So you know, Valeris is going to be adding 11 new aircraft this year, at right. least to date. That could still change. That for could still change. I <laughs> mean,
0: so they, they already plan to add three directly to their fleet and they're adding, as Ned said, eight more that they're leasing and they can flex that up. Um, based on capacity and they've been very good about flexing capacity up and down. I mean, they, ha- they had to take a lot of capacity out of their system in, in January as in response to um, a COVID outbreak in Mexico. And, but they've added that ball back in March and, and April. So they, 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 they feel like they can go up and down, which is, which is a good place to be in.
1: Yes, for sure. Flexibility is the key to, uh, to getting through COVID, I think.
0: And leisure markets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yes
0: so it uh so that's it we've talked about business uh, business travel i'm mean, it tra- a trade show will be interesting to see when we when those start again i mean i haven't been to one for more than a year now um i don't no, know same. when i'll go to one again i mean uh
1: <laughs> i i have to say i i miss conferences a bit madu you know chatting with everyone seeing everyone it's fun yeah, I think uh, I might be alone in that between the two of us.
0: But. No, no, I, I, I do too. I don't miss, I don't need to shake anyone's hand ever again. That's a filthy, filthy custom. And I've always thought it was disgusting, especially when someone gives you their sweaty hand. I don't really want to have to deal with that. I mean, to are doing elbow
1: bumps, everyone. Elbow forever, bumps. Forever, <laughs> forever. I hope
0: that stays around because I don't really want to touch somebody's sweaty hand ever again. Or be hugged. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Anyway, that's uh, that's just me. So that, that may inform how I travel for business in the future. <laughs> Things Fair will enough. change. <laughs> Things will
1: definitely change. That's for sure.
0: All right, Edward Ned Russell, this is another fun session of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. Please check us out at airlineweekly.com. Subscribe to us if you don't already. Our a new issue drops every Monday, and we we update the site throughout the week. Thank okay, you. And goodbye. Thank you, Madhu. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.